0: 35 metres back. Bernard Foley's got the legs.
1: It's got the legs. The distance.
2: hello and welcome to pick and drive rugby where the people's podcast providing a platform for rugby lovers to come together and support the game that's played in heaven in 2024. i'm your host ando and with me are mitch and locky fellas it is good to be back
0: can't wait for 2024 very excited for another season of footy to chat about year of the reds i know it's the year of the reds and the year of the
1: wallabies i'm excited to share that with you boys let's get into it
2: we all know that much like 2023 this is also the year of the tar so very very excited to see what happens and you may or may not know dear listeners this is as always a start of our super rugby preview series so as this is our first podcast for 2024 and hopefully one of the first rugby podcasts to get out in the new year we are going to do three things number one We're gonna tell you what's new in 2024 for Pick and Drive Rugby. Number two, we're gonna talk through the appointment of the new Wallabies coach, Joe Schmidt. And then number three, we are going to hear the interview with New South Wales Waratahs coach, Darren Coleman, that Mitch and I got to do down at New South Wales Rugby headquarters. So we are very, very excited for you to feast, have your ears feast upon that interview. Now, one last thing before we head off into what's new. We have a simple call to action for you. And that is to join our Discord channel. Discord is our discord channel is essentially in my humble and totally not biased opinion the best part of the australian rugby community that is going around the link is in any of our social media profiles where we had a huge thread going off about the joe schmidt appointment it's been a really good chat really good conversation so make sure that you check any of our social profiles to find out how it works it's pretty simple pretty straightforward and we're looking forward to you joining in so Gentlemen, let's jump into what's new in 2024. Let's
0: go. All right, 2024 is going to be a big year for pick and drive rugby. It's going to be a big year for Australian rugby and we are very excited to dive in and and just basically get into it so what how are things going to look in 2024 so we're we're changing up uh the way that we podcast and and how uh the content we deliver is presented to you our dear listeners so how are we going to do that we're splitting the podcast into two separate chunks basically so in 2024 we're going to have two releases that come out every week so on monday morning we will have our preview uh, a review episode, where we'll talk through all of the action from Super Rugby Pacific uh, test matches and all the the rugby that's happened in the previous weekend, first thing on Monday morning. Uh, Then on Thursday morning, during the regular season, we'll be releasing our preview podcast where we'll uh, preview the upcoming games for the weekend, talk about maybe the game of the round in a bit more detail. And our idea is to keep both of those podcasts to about 30 minutes. We want things to be a bit more sharp, uh, a bit more punchy. Less of us sort mm-hmm. of droning on about how good the Waratahs are and maybe talking a little <laughs> bit more about how actually the podcasts, uh, the, the teams themselves have gone. We're also going to try and get more interviews in 2024. So we've already started things off with a pretty good relationship with the media managers at all the different Super Rugby sides. So fingers crossed that can continue. And from our perspective, we'd love to present more interviews f- for you, our guests. Uh, our listeners into the the uh, our regular lineup so that'll jump in throughout the season as well
2: and then in terms of the connections and partnerships that we are trying to build with clubs um we like Mitch mentioned we've got interviews with the obviously Darren Coleman with the rebels with Nick Styles has already been conducted and we're very very confident that the other, Super Rugby Pacific Clubs are coming on board and giving us head coach interviews, so we're very excited about that. But in addition to that, we're wanting to build stronger connections and partnerships with clubs ultimately to benefit you, the listeners. So today, well, within this podcast, you're going to be hearing some plugs for New South Wales Waratah's memberships later on, and we're going to be trying to build our connections with other clubs around the country as well to make sure that Australian rugby fans across the country are getting an opportunity to better connect with their teams. So. Keep an eye out for what that look, looks like. It's going to develop and grow as the season progresses, but we're very excited. So, Mitch, was there anything else we needed to cover there? Lockie? anything that we've missed out on? Mitch?
0: Oh, just a big shout-out like we did in the intro, that if you're not in already involved, make sure you do get involved in the Discord server because that's a great way to reach uh, Lockie, Ando, and myself uh, to give us any feedback or, or let us know who you want to hear from throughout the season. We're also active on X. We're on Facebook. We're on Instagram as well, so... We have a presence across all of social media platforms, and we want to hear from you. So if there are stories you want heard on the podcast, there are uh, players you want interviewed, let us know, and we will do our best to try and get those stories told.
2: Completely agree. Well, on that point, why don't we jump into the biggest appointment of the 2024 year so far, which was the new Wallabies national coach, Joe Schmidt.
1: Mitch and uh, four days ago, some news broke and it was pretty big. We had word trickling out from New Zealand and Australia of a new head coaching appointment. And it might not have been the biggest surprise. It might not be the biggest personality, but we have one of the brightest coaches in world rugby at the moment signed on to Australia. That man is Joe Schmidt, former Ireland boss, most recently a New Zealand assistant coach for their silver medal run at the World Cup. He has signed... A two year deal through to at least the end of the British and Irish Lions series. And it sees him come up against his old stablemate, Andy Farrell from Ireland. Biggest news of the year so far in rugby. First instant reaction goes to Ando. What do you make of the news?
2: I absolutely loved it. I thought it was the continuation of a string of good appointments from the new regime at RA. Under Phil War, I think they're doing the right things by putting some good people in, such as um Hami Fernandez, who's, Fernandez, who's in as the women's high performance manager. We've got Joe Yap as the new Wallaroos manager. Now we've got Peter Horn overseeing the high performance pathways throughout all of Australian rugby, along with David Nusafora, who is alongside Joe Schmidt, instrumental in a lot of the improvement within Irish rugby over the last decade. And then once those names have been put get bandied together and brought together. Who do we have? Joe Schmidt, the best available international coach that has strong relationships and connections with key figures who are now a part of Australian rugby. I think it is the best, but also the most um, measured and effective appointment that we probably could have
0: had.
1: Mitch, how about you, mate? There were four names up for grabs. Were you expecting Joe Schmidt to be the one that came out on top?
0: Look, my... My my rugby heart was beating very hard for Joe Schmidt. I thought of all of the the candidates that were available, who were sort of uh, earmarked as potential coaches for the Wallabies. Joe Schmidt was the one that I wanted. Whether we could have got that signing across the uh, across the table was another doubt. I wasn't sure whether RA was able to do it, but they've done it. They've got they've got the coup. They've got Joe Schmidt in. So it's a fantastic appointment. He's the best candidate from anywhere in world rugby that we probably could have appointed at the current time. Uh, It'll be really interesting to see what happens now over the next six to eight months as he prepares for Wales to get here.
1: It's a big shift in coaching mentality, we can probably agree on, team. Fire and ice between Eddie and Joe Schmidt. We'll quickly go through Joe's coaching resume, um, just to get a bit of a feel for him, if you don't know enough about his backstory so far. But as far as coaching is concerned, he's been in the pro circuit since 2004, So Joe Schmidt is a Kiwi. He started off his formal coaching career as a Blues assistant coach from 2004 to 2007. He moved on to Clermont uh, in the French top 14 where he eventually won as an attack coach in 2010. Moved on to the Irish powerhouse Leinster. Uh, He was head coach there and had huge success, back-to-back European Champions Cup plus the Pro 12 title at the time, which is a huge coup leading to him being picked up by Ireland in 2013 and as far as world rugby is concerned the rest is history There picked up three six nations titles world coach of the year in 2018 the same year that he also won an away series win over the wallabies and he has also knocked off south africa and new zealand in his role as island head coach took a break for a while went to world rugby Um, for a year or two, and then ended up back as an assistant coach and was largely touted as turning the All Blacks fortunes around under Ian Foster, along with Jason Ryan there. So massive resume, as thick as a phone book for Joe Schmidt. Let me ask you something, Mitch, the quality of that resume, what do you think Joe Schmidt will be able to do in the 18 months, realistically, that he signed
0: on for? He's already starting to talk some of the things that we probably uh, as rugby fans and as podcasters have been sort of crying out for for the past 5 or 6 years in just a little bit of sensibility in his approach to his appointment as coach of the Wallabies not just going in there and saying like like Eddie did we've got the talent we can be the best we just need to get the players playing well he's talked already in the the brief moments that he has been Wallabies coach around how he meet, there's an understanding of taking the players from their system in Super and through to the Wallabies, not changing things up too much, making sure they're playing similar game plans. They understand what they need to be doing at this next level. So it's it's exciting. And it, it's probably the first time we've heard a coach talk about the, the, the structure that needs to be in place that's going to support him as coach and, and support the system to make sure the Wallabies are successful. And I'm sure we'll talk about it in a little bit like Ando mentioned before, around the the other people in the that have been appointed around him and the sort of the team that is now leading the, the kind of high-performance um, outlet of Rugby Australia. But it, it's really exciting to see that he's already having this calm, measured approach. And, I mean, he's, he's he knows that we need to win. He's spoken about how getting wins is probably the only thing that's going to get fans back. But he's also stated that, you know, don't expect us to win everything. And we will just incrementally improve and put in better performances as we go.
1: Look, I totally agree, mate. And the the mentality and the the composure that we've seen from Joe Schmidt already has me feeling very quietly confident about the long-term prospects mm. of the Wallabies, which is crucial on the back of Joe Yap's appointment for the Wallaroos, Peter Horn, Noosa Fora, Hammy Fernandez. There is a real core group there that's starting to drive rugby in Australia, at least from the top level, early doors. But, Ando, what I wanted to ask is, it almost seemed tailor-made when New Sephora and Horn Mm. came into the setup, that news sort of broke over the past two months or so, and it looked like it was geared towards Joe Schmidt, but what's your take on some of the other candidates? There were four that we mentioned before, including Schmidt, that is, Ian Foster, who was off contract with the All Blacks. There was Dan McKellar, who's currently over with Leicester Tigers and is still under contract. And there is the under-contract Stephen Larkham at the Brumbies. Those are our four. Were realistically any of those three ready to step up into this Australian role? And if not, why not?
2: Look, uh, Ian Foster, yeah, obviously could have come across. Um, He's got the recent head coach experience and done, despite a fair bit of criticism at times. um, At times, a good job. So I think that people who are pointing particularly to Stephen Larkin probably need to take a little bit of a reality check of where he's at as a head coach at this point of his career. So there was an interesting... Um, kind of like a a hot take sent out or a shock jock statement by Greg Martin, Um, ex-wallaby Greg Martin, who loves to get on Triple M and put a bit of a take out there. Uh, We've had two Kiwis and both times it's ended in tears. We're about to go down the same track. We needed Stephen Larkin. We needed a bloke who's won a World Cup who is an Australian. I just think this mentality of having to have an Australian coach, an Australian team is just dumb you don't see that in football like in soccer um it's not something that has to happen and when you look at stephen larkham's coaching record for the brumbies it's good it's good but it's not stellar at this point and he's inheriting and being a part of the best system within australian rugby in the last 15 to 20 years and so if we're wanting someone to be able to come on board and assist with improving the entirety of our rugby system alongside the high performance manager, alongside Phil Waugh in his role with RA. I don't think Stephen Larkham's that person. And the obsession of needing an Australian to coach the Wallabies in my mind is just jingoistic and actually takes away from the quality that other people can bring to the role from different countries and different backgrounds.
1: It's a fair analysis on Larkin, but what about McKellar? He was often touted as the heir apparent after Rennie. He worked with as an assistant. Obviously, he's tied up in Leicester at the moment in a contract, but there were massive calls to try and bring him back.
2: Yeah, I would have thought the same thing insofar as he had been a part of that same Brumby setup that has done, it's probably been the best and most consistent team within Australian rugby within the last 15 to 20 years. I think you pretty comfortably say that. Um, but again, What has he actually achieved with the teams that he's coached? Does he have demonstrated success at an international level? No. You would be employing with either McKellar or Larkham a coach with potential. And with the absolute debacle that Australian rugby has been through within the last 18 months or so, you want a proven performer who has a track record of being involved in organisational change. That is not... Stephen Larkin, that is not Dan McKellar. But do you know who it is? It's Joe Schmidt alongside Peter Horne and David Nussifora. So that for me is exciting. And I think that is the reason why, in this case, Phil War and the whole team that have brought Joe Schmidt on board have done a really, really good job in bringing this team together. Just finally on this one, Mitch, I wanted to ask about
1: Joe Schmidt's mentality with regards to the players. Joan's a very passionate coach, who was fiery at best uh, with most media circles and most critics. But Schmidt has made, he's described himself as a realist for starters. I'm not great at selling dreams. He told the Sydney Morning Herald, dreams are not tangible. Yep. I'm a pragmatic sort of individual. But this is what stood out to me, Mitch, and I'd love your take on this. I'm a realist and I know that I've seen these players play, but I don't know who they are. I reckon getting to know who they are is as important as how they play because players recognise if you care about them and how they are developing and you're investing them, you can turn it around. That's a pretty measured take from a man in a high-pressure
0: job. It's a very similar take to a previous coach that we had who was in in a lot of ways tracking in the right direction, Dave Rennie. So that's one of the things that is a hallmark of Dave Rennie's time as Wallabies head coach was the culture that he had brought in to the Wallabies, that... The players were playing for each other, they were playing for the family, and they had a connection back with um, the Indigenous story of Australia and the land and, and who they were representing. Uh, Eddie Jones, in a lot of ways, lost that in the short time that he was in, in charge. So it will take time for Joe to get to know these players. Um, it doesn't look like it's he spent a lot of time sort of analysing who the who's who in Australian rugby, other than when it comes up to test week for the All Blacks when he was the assistant coach. But... I have no doubt that he's going to – He's getting, as soon as he gets his feet under the desk, he's going to be looking at who's who in, in the zoo in, in Australian rugby, Who who's potentially going to be in that first squad, how he can figure out what's the best way to motivate these guys, what's the best way to kind of shape this team and move forward to, to get past what happened in 2023, forget what happened in the World Cup and just focus on what's coming next and get this team ready for the Lions in 2025.
1: 100%. We can't forget 2023 soon enough. Gents, that'll do us for Joe Smith. I think it's time to crack onto an interview.
0: Let's go.
2: Mitch and I were lucky enough to head down and interview New South Wales Waratahs head coach Darren Coleman about the Waratahs prospects in the upcoming 2024 Super Rugby Pacific season. Now, One of the things that the Waratahs wanted us to talk with you about and we were incredibly excited to do is to tell you about the membership packages and opportunities that they have available. Both Mitch and I are members and we really, really encourage everybody to be getting involved and getting along to as many games as you possibly can, whether you're a Waratahs, Rebels, Force, Reds or Brumbies fan. All Australian rugby supporters should be getting around their teams. So the Waratahs have a range of packages to suit everybody, including full season, three games or supporters' memberships if you can't actually make it to a game. Those prices range from $50 for a supporter package to $414 for a full season in the best platinum seats in the Alliance Stadium, which is an absolutely brilliant occasion. I love it. They will, all of us, will receive exclusive member-only invites to events to meet players, coaches, and more. We'll receive $50 to spend in the online member store and also receive presale access to the 2024 Wallabies Test Match and Waratah's Home Finals. Visit membership.nsw.rugby, that is visit membership.nsw.rugby to get your Waratahs membership and come along and say g'day to Mitch and I as we make sure that we cheer our teams home for the final series in 2024. Now, like I said, we got to interview DC at Daisyville. It was awesome. Really, really good human being. And he gave a lot of fascinating insights and particularly reflection on the 2023 season and what they had learned and how they had grown and how they were hoping to be approaching this 2024 season. So it runs for about 30 minutes. Enjoy. And we'll be doing our preview, our own preview in the next episode out on Wednesday. Thanks so much.
3: Bye.
2: I'm Hugh Ando, got Mitch with me, and we are proud to welcome Darren Coleman, the head coach of the
3: New South Waratahs onto the podcast. DC, how are you? Good, thanks for having me, boys. Yeah, no, it's uh, excited to be here and um, looking forward to uh, chatting all things Waratahs. And that is our
2: plan. So today is Wednesday. What have you been doing? What's the team doing today?
3: Yeah, Wednesday well, at the moment schedules change week to week depending on uh, what we've got coming up. But Wednesday's a bit of a training free day for the players, so it works out uh, well for me. But we've just had a four-hour coaches meeting, so that was a bit of a okay. drain. So I just walked <laughs> yep. out of that. Um, and then uh, yeah, the, most of the boys they finished late last night. They had all their content night yeah, on. So they, yeah, it was Stan and. Gained all the, the content for all the marketing department here. So that was, a, that was a late finish for everyone at 8.30 last night. So, um, no, they've got a well-earned sleep in. I'll be Some of the boys will come in and do some medical stuff or recovery stuff today. And we're back in full tilt tomorrow.
2: At what stage of the pre-season program are you in? How have you kind of structured it this year to make sure the boys are ready for the start of the season?
3: Yeah, we, we, we've had a few phases. It's a very long off-season between mm. Super Rugby when you only play 14 games. Um, so during the, the shoot shield season, we had a layer, obviously we had a bunch of players away with the wallabies and then we had some players in for surgeries and some players, uh, playing shoot shield. We called, um, that we called that sort of, we themed that our sharpening the axe. Mm-hmm. So the players sort of worked on individual cause they were going back to their clubs, obviously yep. wanting to do well for their clubs, how we could individually sharpen them. Then they got their big break. Then we went into what we call our prep season, which is, uh. It's all pre-season, but we try and give it different names to yeah. trick them into feeling like it's not <laughs> it's a fresh. 12 points. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So we did prep season, so that probably encompassed 50% of the squad and we, we that was a big physical focus, just getting yep. them ready to train hard. Then we had a six-and-a-half-week six pre-season block into Christmas. Um, that's a lot of volume. Um, not heaps of tactical and technical, a bit. We, we wanted to just sort of, I guess instill habits and, and, and behaviours around how they go on the field, around uh, performing under physical duress is probably the, the big focus of that. Now we're in the run home, so we've got a little four-week block now, um, which is pre-season block two with no games in it, but where we're really uh, making the training a lot more match-specific, um, making sure all our systems and tactical stuff's embedded, Still working them hard, there's still a lot of volume, still a high intensity, and then we'll get into our trial season, which is another three-week block, um, where the workload drops a little, not significantly, but a little, because they've got games to get through at the end of the week, and we try to get them used to to the demands of backing up after a game, and then we're in the season proper, where, where uh, yeah, the training drops right back, and, and uh, you get that balance right. Yeah, You mentioned at
2: the start of the pre-season period, the sharpening the axe. Mm -hmm. In 2022, the motto that was said quite regularly was being tart-tough. And then when we spoke with Jason Gilmore last year, there was a lot of conversation around performing under pressure. What is the main kind of tagline or motto or goal that you're trying to put forward to the squad for 2024?
3: Yeah, theming's a big part of of coaching these days. Um, I've... Sometimes put a lot on it, sometimes less, uh, sometimes you can get trapped chasing a magical theme and forgetting mm-hmm. to play footy um, yeah I thought I thought they sequenced quite well in the fact in theory the fact we needed to to perform with a bit more resilience to get the crowd back following us, and I thought we did that to some effect, and uh that tar tough mantra sort of still bubbles away in mm-hmm. the team we, we use that term a lot um it's it not just physical toughness it it covers things around our goal line defense it covers things around performing under fatigue and things like that we made those progressions into 22 that we felt now uh the next step last year was we knew we were going to be coming into some pressure environments uh new stadium more expectation predominantly Mm. because we'd had that good season or or improved season in 22. So we tried to implement some stuff around the ability to perform under pressure. So Mm. obviously it didn't go to plan Um, and it's back to the drawing board. This year our theme's probably been, it's sort of been handed to me really. It's 150 years of New South Wales rugby. So we've spent a lot around that 150 connecting with our past. So I think... um, uh, the connections the players make to the history of the place is really important for Mirza and the boys all go on to be good rugby men, and rugby's in our blood and it's something that we love. That it's important you understand and respect your history. So, through the pre season to date, we've covered off every decade. Uh, oh, wow. A new player has done a research assignment on that decade, um, he's presented on it. Now, from the 50s onwards, we've found a past player or coach or someone from that decade and they've come in as part of that presentation, mm-hmm. a bit of a show-and-tell or yeah. Q&A from that. <laughs> That's we right. had, yeah, we had Ronnie Graham in from the 50s and 60s. We had, uh, we've, had uh, we've had uh we had Mickey Martin. We've had the old Parramatta winger. We had Rod McQueen in from 91. Oh, really he led the 91 yeah. undefeated season. Um We've got Tommy Carter coming in tomorrow for the okay. 2000s. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's a good yeah. man. And then we'll finish with the 2000s, the 210s. We'll highlight the 214 championship, mm-hmm. and obviously we'll have some boys in from that team. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, our I guess our theme for this year is around connecting with the past and and paying respect to the to the rich history this team has. Yeah, and using that to drive the team forward and our
2: own performances forward. Yeah. Well, on on that point, you mentioned the start of the 2023 season, mm-hmm. and um, both Mitch and I were at the opening game against the Brumbies, and. I think it's fair to say it didn't go particularly to plan, mm. and then the following games weren't so great, aside from the win against the Drua. So, the Warriors ended one from five from the first six rounds of the season. How are you? How do you reflect upon that? The way in which you prepared the team for the start of last year, and then what are you going to try and do differently
3: mm. to ensure a better start for this season? Yeah, yeah definitely. No, it was. Uh, yeah, I feel your pain. It was one of the lowlights of my career that Brumbies lost. Like, mm-hmm. and um, yeah, it's a, obviously you reflect strongly and longly through a, a long preseason. Um, there's no doubt I got that wrong, mm-hmm. and I'm happily admit that we put a lot of... I guess I got as a rookie coach, I got swept up into um, the positivity we got out of the year before, yeah. moving to a new stadium around that time. Not through any of my design. Eddie was around spruiking the game. Mm-hmm. We had an opportunity. I was having lots of conversations with marketing departments around. Let's, let's fill this stadium on mm-hmm. game one. It was a blockbuster at local derby. Um, yeah, and so we just put a lot of emphasis onto it. And um, a wise man in our team, actually, who's now retired and playing seven, so I won't mention <laughs> the names, <laughs> said to me, DC, what happens if we lose that first game? and uh, i said we won't mate we'll uh we'll stay positive and we put yeah we put a lot of effort into that and we came out and we performed poorly potentially over aroused i know yeah. i was um we got injured as well yeah yeah there was a lot of yeah it was it was a shitty night <laughs> and uh and that really just deflated our tyres mm. and um so yeah it's funny, though, like we went on and had a poor start. Do I put the rest of the weeks down to that round one? You could argue both ways. We went on and one, round two. Mm. So we sort of bounced back and had a, a pretty solid performance, yeah. one of our better performances against the Drawer in round two. Mm. But then we just met some, some good teams after that. Yeah. Like we actually yeah. played the top four after that. So, yeah, I definitely take blame on the dud start to round one. Did that kill our next four rounds. I, I I don't know if I could 100% handle and hard say it did. Yeah. Um, we just... Uh, momentum's a funny thing. We win that. Uh, our spirits are up. You come back to the next time at the footy stadium, they've had a good night. That 28,000 goes to 35. Yeah. And we know Sydney follows winners. That, that was my dream. I am a bit of a dreamer. And I had visions of us filling that stadium and still do. But we needed to probably... Tone it back a bit and worry about uh, performance and play-by-play play as opposed to the the end result. And so that's the direction
2: that you're trying to speak into the players before round one.
3: Yeah, definitely. Yeah, like I'm a, I'm a pretty emotional coach. You're only got to speak to the players, and I and I do have grand visions for my teams. And and fortunately, the last six or seven years that they've sort of come to fruition. So I've I've gone there, but yeah, we've probably taken a. a I particularly in our messaging is let's let's just worry about the day the day that's in front of us the play that's in front of us, and if we do that right, the rest will look after itself. the, the stadiums will fill, the the supporters will come back. Where we've probably made our biggest tweaks, we've we've made some adjustments in our coaching structure. Uh, Jason Gilmore has moved to what we call a senior assistant role. He's taken a bigger hand. In some of the session planning, I've stepped back into a little bit uh, in a couple of areas uh, around sort of why would I've determined player management mm-hmm. and and things like that and overseeing the program. I get a bit more from I guess a helicopter view, uh, which has been interesting for me. Um, but the biggest change has been how we're trained. We've sort of trained, and I think we'll touch on a bit around the the physical preparation, mm-hmm. but. Uh, We've trained a bit more game-specific. The game changes in its trends. Potentially, I coached a little bit too much on uh, the ball in play being too long, really high fitness levels over long periods of time. Mm -hmm. But we're seeing at the moment the game is just a series of powerful short snaps in play with relatively long recovery periods. So we've definitely tailored our training around that.
2: Which leads us into the next question. Now, we have had a lot of questions come in from okay. listeners and fans of the pod, so sure. thank you, Nick Wilson, for that previous one. Um, last season, there was a lot of talk about building size so the Warriors could physically compete. Harry Dale and Obi ask, how have you reflected on a change in physical profiles of your team from last season and what's been a focus phys- about physical preparation for this year?
3: Yeah, no, I, um, again, like everything, you review and you review critically. Um, Uh, That's one area probably gets beat up in the media. Like I think there was a couple of articles around how much body weight players had put on and and things like that. We did have a gym focus, probably more than I've had with other teams, but we felt that was important on the back of what happened to us the year before. I generally felt in 22, we could stay with the big Kiwi teams when the ball was long in play. Uh, Where we battled with them was the power game. Uh, I I still remember vividly the first defensive set in our Chiefs playoff game in 22, where they did nothing special but hit up midfield, roll forwards around the corner on two consecutive phases. Our boys put their body on the line, were in good positions, made their tackles, but the physics of the, the collisions, we were 10 to 15 metres behind the game line without making a mistake yeah. or making a bad tackle. It really hit home to me then that I felt we're a little bit outpowered against some of the bigger teams. So that was where we switched our focus uh, to more so. And I think it then... I don't think our physical preparation was the reason yeah. we didn't perform last year. I'd, we've... Held a pretty similar line. We haven't stressed as much around the body weight. We've made the players stronger again. We've got a great year of work, base work done under Nick Lumley, our head of performance. He's a a bit of a guru in the gym and his staff with Timmy Mosey, they work the boys hard. Uh, So we haven't tweaked too much there. We've let the players' weight settle where it settles, but we wanted to be stronger, more powerful, in line with my earlier comment that the game at the moment is becoming... uh, a sport of more repeat power. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not a grind game like a rugby league game. Like you see the ball's in play 60 minutes. Even when you haven't got the ball, you're up and back in defence 10 metres. And we see it. We've watched Tristan Riley come and join us this year from the Tigers and uh, said how he found it going from, from us to the Tigers back to us. And he said just the training is is quite unique. Like The rugby league, he doesn't get over... He never runs over 85% of his max speed in training. Like It's such more of a grind game, whereas here we want our outside yeah. backs. Yep. They don't get as many touches or as many involvements. They need to be at good speed and power when they do have it. So, yeah, I, I definitely read some criticism around that and um, I probably take too much of it to heart, but I, I'd probably think on that I'd, I'd stick with the same plan. I, I do feel we need to be... Rugby's a collision sport. You look at all the teams that did well in the World Cup, they're big bodies running into it. They're winning collisions. You win collisions. Your ruck ball's looked after or easier to look after, and you play the game on the front foot. Yep.
2: Well, that actually feeds in pretty well to some of the thoughts and reflections around the kind of the roster management and the squad management. Yeah. We've got some tall timber that have come into it. We've had yeah. Fergus Lee Wanna returning from overseas, which is a really good acquisition. And how are you currently feeling about the squad composition three years into the role? Mm. So now you do have a squad that does have a lot more of your fingerprints over it compared to what you may have inherited previously.
3: Yeah, definitely. No, um, I, I've never shied away from the fact that it's my team and uh, and I'll take full responsibility for, for what if it performs poorly. Um, we've tried to get that demographic in mm-hmm. for two years. It's yeah. just um and this hasn't been easy like locks are some of the highest paid players in europe yep. so when you find the two meter ones that, that are aggressive and physical they're hard to pry back yep. and uh yeah as you've seen that i think the first year we filled it with um jeff cridge from new zealand uh last year we didn't really we couldn't find that missing part yep. we wanted but yeah miles and fergus yep. really add to us in that that workhorse, bigger body. Ferg uh, wouldn't be classified as a big lock, but he has those uh, workhorse-style characteristics. He's a mm-hmm. high work rate player. He's not flashy. He likes contact. He's a good mauler, uh, those sort of things. Miles is exciting. Um, I am stopping short of of putting too much yeah. pressure on yeah. Miles. Like he's, he's, he's a good, young. Yeah, he's a young kid. And... Uh, He's got a lot to adjust to. He hadn't played senior footy before he went to France, so his only experience of senior footy is that really physical, big, collision-based game that they play in France. He'll take a while, and he, he has. You see him come back into our training. He's he's battling early on to keep up with the speed of it. He hasn't had to move that quick, um, but we're making some changes to his body. He's uh, he's still holding that one twenty four, one twenty three weight that we want. He's obviously not changing his height, but he's, he's changing his body composition. He's starting to move quicker. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, he, we're all excited by him. He gives us that tight head lock, which obviously then goes on to support Harry and our tight head props. Yeah. Um, it has a few, uh, a bigger body to set Maul off. Um, he's very, him and Fergus are actually like Jed. They're very good at disrupting opposition yeah. more. They can get through. So, um, yeah, we're excited to see what he does but I am aware that it's going to take a little while for him to get, get up to speed mm-hmm. with, with the speed of Super Rugby.
2: How does that then affect the composition of kind of the second row and the back row? Mm-hmm. Because previously the Tars have had a lot of hybrid players, so Jed Holloway is traditionally a back row player, but has been mm-hmm. locked. You've got Hugh Sinclair, who's not the tallest lock in the world, but has filled yeah. in there. Same with Ned Hannigan. Um, how do you see the composition for the
3: team looking? And we still are probably heavy on... Hybrids, mm-hmm. like you would like to have one, maybe two more big-bodied specialist locks in your squad, but just finding two hundred centimetre plus one hundred and twenty-five kilo guys isn't mm-hmm. as easy as it sounds. So I guess my theory is then, if we haven't got a a good big man, we may as well have a good hybrid. I'm not going to put a a dud footballer in there just because he, he He's hits, the, yeah, just because he hits the physical dimension. So. What it does open up is, is some selection quandaries. Like, as you said, Jed at international level is probably more the physique of a back rower, of a 6'8". But at Super Rugby, he does well at lock. Uh, he gets a lot of accolades from, us, from our props with what he contributes at scrum. Sinks' as, uh, output is probably more like a lock. He's a tradesman. He knows his thing. Again, he's just doing it from a smaller frame. Um, how we're probably looking at it, we're probably looking at Miles, Fergus... Jed and Sinks we sort of categorise them as locks yeah. to begin with yeah. whereas Ned and Swinton will be uh, more categorised as six mm-hmm. that said if, if Swinton's playing the house down and Ned is you're going to find a way to fit them both yeah. in um, but we're really comfortable I think it's probably the strongest part of our squad is the back five of our scrum we've got the mm-hmm. most depth the most mm-hmm. options and it's causing us the most selection headaches already how
0: much, um, how much squad rotation will be a theme in 2024, particularly with some of the players coming back from injury?
3: Yeah, it's, it's a funny word when you use rotation. It can, <laughs> can upset and scare people. Um, in a 14-game league, you probably don't have to do too much. But I am conscious there's national interests as well. Yeah. So I imagine when the national new national coach comes in, there'll be some conversation. There won't be any enforced resting yeah. policy, but you do want to make sure you're supporting the wallaby cause as well, mm-hmm. so on that front. And there is some merit. If you've got good depth and you change uh, a starter for a bench player and there's only a, a minuscule difference in output, there's something that you can gain by the freshness, the yeah. enthusiasm, the motivation that that guy getting his shot in yeah. in the starting team can do. So... It'll be a week by week. I'd love to, I'd love to love to have the, um, luxury of some rotation. Mm -hmm. Um, but results dictate that a little bit. You're not as confident to, to rotate players when games are in the balance. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, I think in some positions particularly, you'll see a little bit of movement, but, um, and if we are able to do that, it's been a good signal that we haven't had too many injuries and we're able to do that. You find that I generally work on that sort of 15 to 20% injury rate anyway. So yeah. although we're talking about 10 really strong back 5 players in our squad, we've already lost one for the season. So um, it's you're down to 9 already So and then you'll get injuries in season so it's, it's not ideal. So
0: focusing on injuries, we've had a few players come back or had a lot of time on the sidelines mm-hmm. last year. Max Jorgensen's one of those players, Angus spelled. Will Harrison, how are those plays shaping up for the start of 2024?
3: Yeah, of those three, probably Belly's the most advanced. Like he came back played through the World yeah. Cup um, mm-hmm. and he's pretty much been trained. He's had a couple of little normal off-season niggles, but he's trained right through and uh, with another three or four weeks before round one, I mm-hmm. uh, felt like Nick Lumley done an outstanding job last year. That 20 minutes, I know it was only 20 minutes, but... Some of the best, right? Yeah, that, that was the best Belly, he ever looked and and measured physically. I feel that Nick really got him into tip top shape, so we're working Angus hard to get him back to that. He had a good World Cup, but I still feel he was in better Nick after our preseason than he was into the World Cup. So, um, yeah, he's good. No, no, nothing to report there. He'll be he'll be playing trial one and he'll be ready to go. Will, Will's there's um, not a more tenacious, dedicated, professional player than Will Harrison. Uh, that knee injury is a really complex one like it's uh it's the royal flush of of knee injuries like he did pretty much every structure in there so um it hasn't been smooth sailing he's sort of had two steps forward one step back through summer um but there is progress He's, he's out there um he's got another little procedure to to go through um but the goal is to have him uh, back him in training with the team in the next two to three weeks, yeah. give him a month of, of team training. He's, he's been doing lots of rehab running and all that. And uh, fingers crossed that, that he'll be sort of out in those, I don't know, round two to five, somewhere in there, that he'll be available, at least playing footy. We'll probably yeah. have to run him back through some club footy or some A-games yeah. to get him to get him moving again. Yeah. But, yeah, he's on track. Um Jorgo. Jorgo had a really rough year in the yeah. end. Like What was such a, a breakout year for him, yeah. he, pretty, he had three significant injuries. Um, what probably a lot of people don't know, he had a little shoulder clean-up uh, on top of his ankle, major ankle surgery yeah. as well. So they're all um, all going all right. He's, he's about a week or two off joining team training. Mm-hmm. Uh, there'd need to be a hiccup for him not to play in round one. And and we're hopeful that he'll play some trial time as well. But obviously we won't push that if he's not right.
0: Is he another player that you'll manage his time or his minutes in 24?
3: Yeah, again, like that whole... It'll just be on how he's going. Yeah, Yeah, we did a little bit this year. We sort of rested him from a couple of games um, at different times. And, yeah, the proof's in the pudding. He's an 18-year-old kid. The rigours of the season did get to him a bit at the end. So he's he's but he's bigger and stronger than he was last year. Mm. Um, he'll know what to expect. Uh, the Wallaby campaign, although he didn't get on the field, was good for his learning mm. and experience. Um, whether we get to re- when and if we get to rest him, I'm I'm not sure. That'll just be a week to week thing. And uh, other players are available. How he's how he's going physically.
0: How is the morale in the team looking towards 2024? Was there any? Uh, effect from the the Wallabies campaign for some of the players that came back or some of the players that weren't selected, like Jake Gordon, for example? in Jen Holloway. Or, or Jen Holloway. Yeah, yeah,
3: yeah they were probably the two big emissions, weren't they? Yeah. Um, no, they're both very motivated. I think that's helped me, to be honest. Like, Jed's freshened up yeah. physically and mentally and, uh, yeah, he's super motivated. Uh, they're both still RA contractors, so they, they'll get a clean slate with the new coach, I mm-hmm. imagine, and... Yeah. Um, and uh, sometimes eyes and in the beauty of the, uh, of the beholders there, so... It's for most rugby players, I think. Yeah, so, no, they'll be fiercely determined to perform, and not just for their Wallaby selections, but Jake's our captain and Jed's one of our leaders. Yep. They are long-time Waratahs coming up. Both of them are all going well, approaching their 100 caps for the mm-hmm. club, and I know they'll be fiercely determined to do well. Um no, I don't think there's any scars from the other boys. Like the, the the World Cup was good for some of them. I thought Langie Gleeson actually mm, yeah. came back really well from the World Cup. That okay. we've got Langie and uh, and credit to the Wallabies, they they really pushed him hard on the physical side of things. Fitness is probably one of his weak points. Mm-hmm. Um, interesting thing on Langie, he's never played an 80 minute Super Rugby game. Like he's still yeah, never, yeah so he's never got to that yet. But um, the way he's looking now, he's it's something that's definitely in the in the sights and he's he's in career best, uh, fitness and shape. So he's benefited. Um, and the other boys, yeah, the World Cup is what it was, as was our 23 season. We'll wipe it, yep. put it behind us, learn from it and I think you'll see a motivated group. Brilliant. Why
2: don't we change tact a little bit then? And um, the Waratahs became the first Super Rugby team to... Come under Rugby Australia within their centralisation drive. What does that tangibly mean for the organisation and for you as a coach?
3: Yeah, um, to date, zero change. Okay. Like I haven't, I have noticed. It's not like we're we're walking around with Phil Wall, <laughs> what what looking over our shoulder. Um, probably coinciding in the fact that our general manager, we don't have a general manager at the moment, and a lot of contracts at the moment are dual. Rugby Australia and New South Wales. I'm, I'm dealing closely with them on a couple of our Wallaby boys. Mm-hmm. But no, we've been so far been let to bed. It's only early days. I'm mm-hmm. sure they're, the board members that have come from RA to the Waratahs are just getting their feet under the desk so they'll do their own analysis. Um, and it is a bit of state of flux. Like I th- Obviously, RA are hoping that the other teams follow suit at some point mm-hmm. or to some descript. Um, and then we can work under a bit... A uh, more aligned and centralised model, with no Peter Horne in place yet, or no Wallaby coach. There's nothing really coming down yeah. from above. So at the moment, it's it's status quo. I definitely don't have the excuse if we don't start well to go. It's because <laughs> someone else is telling us telling <laughs> us do. what to do. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. Oh, what a disappointment for that is. Um,
2: <laughs> now we are mad Waratahs fans. Um, what's the memberships gone to most games over the last few years? doing this pod and spent way too much money on it for the last few years as well. For all the Waratahs and Aussie rugby fans listening, why should they be getting excited this year for the Waratahs?
3: Yeah, I guess I was I'm a little bitten by last year, you know what mm. I mean? Like I got swept up a little bit in, in talking up our aspirations and where I thought we could get. I'm no less um, excited by the season or my expectations are no less than they were the year, the year before. Um But I'll probably my lesson I learn is just to maybe talk a little less and and win a little more. Mm. So um, I'll stick with that. Other than to say, I I think one thing all my teams do, all our teams do, is they they compete to the final whistle and they and they play hard. So I won't make any bold predictions about what we'll do. But if you come and support us, um, you'll see a team that'll compete hard, hard to the end. We have a really exciting roster. There's a really good blend now of of experience and youth and, and power and size. So I'm, I'm very optimistic and positive around how the season's going to go. Um, a little like, obviously not as far. We didn't go back as far as we did for, for 21, but uh, there's some synergies between 22 where we do need to win uh, some credit points back from the rugby, mm-hmm. rugby public and that'll start with our first two away games yep. if we can um, play well against the Reds away and Crusaders in Melbourne yep. uh, I'd really like to think there'll, uh, there'll be some positivity in anticipation and anticipation and it's just such a great ground the, the footy stadium yeah. Like you only need 15,000 in there to, and the noise is good and it's a good atmosphere and our goal is to continue to, to perform well at home have people want to come back and, and watch a team they know that's going to compete and play well and get a share of wins and then uh, and grow it from there. So, um, yeah, I, I can't go out and make any bold predictions, but I know everyone's got the shoulder to the wheel at the moment. We're all really coordinated and unified in, in, in what we're doing, and uh, I'm excited about what's coming up. Are there any plans for DC post-2024 yet? No, 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 no. Like, my... I've said it before, this is my dream job, so I want to make sure I do a good job of it yep. and see where it goes after that. Um, yeah, it's the third and final year of, of my, my mm-hmm. stint at the moment mm-hmm. um, and I'm a realist. Like, I understand you've got to do well, you've got to perform, you've got to win football matches to, to keep uh, an illustrious job like this. So, um, yeah, no plans yet other than to, to win a lot of super rugby games and... Um, and get New South Wales back to where it should be.
0: All the best for the 2024
2: season. Mate, massively appreciate it. And a final question from Ed Craig, who I believe mm. you know quite well. Yeah. What's your favourite beer and your favourite state to poach players from? <laughs> <laughs> uh,
3: favourite beer, whatever's uh, whatever Ed's buying. What is Ed's usually, yeah. yeah. Um, no, I am yeah impartial to a beer after a good win. Um, and where do we poach from? The good thing about New South Wales is we don't have to. Like We've got the... Uh, we, we've got the talent pool here. I think we're up around 90% of our squad is, is New South Wales, born and raised. Yeah, um, and we do have, we do fill a hole from time to time if we need mm-hmm. to. But, yeah, we're looking in our backyard first. Ed, uh, Ed has the distinction of being a one-cap wallaby and he mm-hmm. was in that... Amazing Crusader victory at Leica. It was. He threw the was. last line out. Yep, it did. Nearly it did. botched it it at the big fella. <laughs> 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 that was an incredible. Game. Yeah. We were
2: on the hill for that match yeah. and um, came yeah. into the presser afterwards completely drenched yeah. throughout the whole time. That yeah. was, was that was a memory. It was a that good was night, a and
3: our, and we are genuinely committed to providing a lot more good nights like that.
2: Very excited. Well, thank you yeah. so much for your time, DC. All the best, and looking forward to round one good in boys. 2024.
3: Keep up the good work. Thank you.